Thank you, Carla and Esther. If you have your copy of Scripture, find Philippians, please, the, the letter that God inspired the Apostle Paul to write to Philippi. And we're going to read from the third chapter. We'll read one, um, one verse, verse 19, and we'll unpack that. <clears throat> this, is a, this is a big day. Jamie already mentioned it, uh, the day that the Bengals beat the Rams in the, in the Super Bowl. Some people think God does not have favorites. I disagree. I think he's, fav- I think he's pulling for the Bengals uh, today. We are, uh, we're doing the Super Bowl of Caring as we do on Super Bowl Sunday. It might be confusing this year because we, you know, because of COVID and passing and all the plates and all that, we're doing our offering at the end. So that, that is at the exit too. But then there'll be some good-looking teenagers there. The, the receptacles for the offering will be there and some really good-looking teenagers will be there to uh, take your gifts for Super Bowl of Caring. Uh, this week for TV Church, we shot the, the message. You know, we, we shoot the message for TV Church at various places around uh, North Alabama. And uh, this week, we shot TV Church, the message down at Bubby's uh, Diner, which is down on South, South Whitesburg. Uh, it's a great place, uh, 50s. A theme, and uh, that the day that we were there was the f- the one year anniversary of of Bubby's Diner, and uh, the, they had free cupcakes, and it was it was great. Now I we had lunch there too, and uh, I had uh, the Bubby Burger, which is uh, two grilled glazed donuts and bacon and cheese. And beef, it is a donut bacon cheeseburger. Today's topic is gluttony. (laughs) We're in the fifth week of uh, these seven deadly sins. Over 1,500 years ago, Christian thinkers began to discover or sense or at least believe that that there are these seven uh, kind of fundamental root transgressions out of which uh, other sins grow. Greed, envy, lust, sloth, anger, pride, and today's topic, gluttony. The very word gluttony uh, sounds ancient. The word gluttony, in my mind, conjures up the image of a a rotund, uh, ancient king You know, with a drumstick in each hand and grease dripping from his chin and, you know, every culinary delight you can imagine spread out in in front of him. But gluttony is not just the vice of medieval kings. Uh, Gluttony can be a problem uh, for us all. Let's read from Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now this morning, for the next uh, few minutes or so, I'm going to talk about the first three phrases there, and and we'll talk about how their, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, and then uh, their destiny 
is destruction. Now I want to say early on here that to struggle with one's weight is not a sign of gluttony. There are those who have physiological advantages and those who have physiological disadvantages when it comes to weight gain. And so the fact that uh, someone struggles with his or her weight uh, is no more a sign of gluttony than a cane is a sign of old age. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. All right. So I don't want you to, I want us to to put us us all at ease that, uh, that, uh, that, that weight gain is not necessarily a sign of gluttony. There, there are lots of things that, that can be happening. Furthermore, to feast is not to sin. If you've never had a, a donut bacon cheeseburger, you haven't lived. <laughs> a feast is not a sin. Jesus loved to feast. I think Jesus and the boys would have enjoyed a, a Bubby Burger every once in a while. Not often, but every once in a while. Jesus was, in fact, I, the only uh, one of the deadly sins that I know of that Jesus was overtly accused of was gluttony. His detractors, those who didn't like him, said he is a glutton and a drunkard. Of course, Jesus was not a glutton, he was not a drunkard, but he did enjoy feasts. He was always invited, he, he, people enjoyed having him in their presence, and so uh, they, he was often at feasts, and so his detractors used that as an opportunity to criticize him and called him a glutton and a drunkard. To feast, uh, there's a time to fast and there's a time to feast, and, and to feast, uh, occasionally is not, is not a sin. But now remember, to continually feast, well, that's gluttony. To splurge is one thing. Uh, to, um, to splurge all the time is a, is a lifestyle. To have two pieces of cake at Thanksgiving, well, that's a splurge. To have two pieces of cake every night, well, that's a lifestyle. It is an unhealthy and sinful lifestyle. <clears throat> On Monday night after the deacons meeting, um, Scott Booth said, you know, you've ruined uh, the blessing for me. And he referred to a, a story I told back seven years ago. It seemed appropriate to tell again. A, um, I heard a guy say, a, a Southern guy, talk about how we Southerners eat. And he said, you know, we We'll get a plate, we'll put three fried foods on it with a lot of fatty sides, and we will carefully balance two pieces of cake on the edges of the plate. And then we'll stop to pray, and we'll say, Dear Lord, please bless this to the nourishment of our bodies. (laughs) The guy said, God works miracles, but we have to meet him halfway. To feast is not, is not a, a sin. So we've, we've said that, that to struggle with one's weight is not necessarily a sign of gluttony. Let's be real clear about that. And we've said that, that feasting is not, is not sin, but, uh, but there is the sin of gluttony. And it's an unhealthy sin, and uh, American physicians are saying that gluttony is a big health problem in America. We are biggie-sizing ourselves to early 
graves. The body is sacred, it is holy, and anything we do that harms the body is sin, including stuffing it. Now, it would be obviously hypocritical of me uh, to say that you should only eat uh, tofu and Brussels sprouts. Carrie would laugh out loud if I were to say something like that. But I can in good conscience say, let's eat moderately. Let's eat sensibly. And let's take care of our bodies. But let's take this a little deeper and farther. You might be wondering why gluttony, overeating, is one of the seven deadly sins. I mean, come on. Is having too much pie or cake or whatever, is that really one of the seven worst sins? Well, remember, the deadly sins are not the seven worst sins. They're the kind of the root, the roots, the, the, the underlying sins, at least those Christian thinkers 1,700 years ago said that out of those root sins out of which others grow. And the truth is that gluttony has to do with more than our daily caloric intake. Gluttony has to do with more than, than the consumption or the overconsumption of food. Gluttony is the excessive appetite for pleasure any kind of pleasure. Gluttony is the excessive appetite for pleasure, any kind of pleasure. The root of the word gluttony is glut. And you know that if on the news you hear there's a glut in the oil market, then the oil producers have produced too much oil and uh, so that it, you know, there's, there's too much supply and not enough, or there's more supply than there is demand and oil prices drop. That's a glut in the oil market. There's a glut in the housing market. That means that uh, there are too many houses in a certain area. There are too many houses and you can't hardly sell a house because there are just too many for sale. A glut of information is too much information. It's information overload. It's like we say drinking uh, from a fire hose. So glut is, means excess. Gluttony then is about more than milkshakes and chocolate cakes. Gluttony is the excessive appetite for pleasure. All kinds of pleasure. Gluttony could involve food, certainly, alcohol, money, shopping, Television, social media, video games. Gluttony is the excessive appetite for pleasure, whatever is that pleasure. And that's why it is a deadly sin. Gluttony is a form of hedonism. H-E-D-O-N, hedon, hedonism. Hedonism is the insatiable, irresponsible pursuit of pleasure. Hedonism, gluttony is a form of hedonism, and hedonism is the insatiable, irresponsible pursuit of whatever I want. It is the insatiable, irresponsible pursuit of whatever makes me 
feel good. And hedonism is endangering our society. We're buying houses and cars we can't afford and getting into debt far over our heads. We're racking up tremendous credit card debt as a nation. The average debt of our individual credit cards is just astronomical. Hedonism, uh, the pursuit of the insatiable, irresponsible pursuit of pleasure is endangering our nation. It comes in the form of things we buy and so on, but nowhere is hedonism on more obvious display than in sexuality. Now, I'm not going to repeat the sermon on lust, and I'm sensitive to the presence of little ears. But this is such a big deal. Sexuality is such, the way it exists in our, cult, our society today is such an example of hedonism, the, the insatiable, irresponsible pursuit of pleasure, that I have to talk about it for a moment. The sexual revolution of the 1960s was an example of hedonism, the pursuit of what makes me feel good, the pursuit of pleasure without rules. The pursuit of pleasure without boundaries. The pill authorized or approved in 1960 removed the, the fear of consequences and, and, and launched the, the almost limitless pursuit of, of sexual pleasure. The, 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 the free love or, the, or the, the, um, uh, the sexual revolution of the 1960s uncorked the bottle, opened Pandora's box, tore down the, gui the guide rail, the guardrails, excuse me, the guardrails, uh, so that things that practices, lifestyles, choices that previously were considered only deviant behaviors, rare deviant behaviors, have now been normalized, mainstreamed in everyday topics. An example of that is polyamory. If you haven't heard the word, you will soon. Polyamory, poly meaning many, amory coming from the word love, Polyamory is this rapidly emerging movement of people in more than, two, more than two people who are in committed, intimate relationships. So it's almost always three. People, it's not like swinging and it's not like um, uh, polygamy. Polygamy, couldn't think of polygamy. I'm, I'm on a lot of drugs, by the way, so I'm... If I promise you any money, please don't hold me to it when I'm, when I'm through. So, they're all legal. <laughs> I think watching TV, they're all legal, I promise. I had a knee replacement. I'm on, so. Where were we? Okay, we're talking about polyamory. So, it's almost always three people who are in an intimate relationship. It's not like polygamy. It's not like swinging. They're committed, uh, but it's not. Monogamy. So uh, on January 31st, just 
Two weeks ago, an article in the Washington Post was the story of a thruple, and it's a word. Three people who make a couple. It's a thruple in Chattanooga. Janie, Maggie, and Cody. Janie and Maggie are married. Cody, uh, a lady, uh, is, no, 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 no. Cody and Maggie are married. That's the, man, the, the, the guy and the gal. And then Janie is um, the, the girlfriend of both of them. And they live in, in one house with two bedrooms, and each night they decide what the sleeping arrangements uh, will be. If you Google this, if you look this up, and I, it, you, some of you will, you'll find countless articles. I found in a quick search 15 books, almost all of them published in the last, or since, since 2018. Tomorrow, on Valentine's Day in London, a, a restaurant will open. The name of the restaurant is Thruple. And instead of having tables for two, they're all diamond-shaped. No, no, they're uh, triangular-shaped uh, tables for three. Back to the thruple in Chattanooga. Maggie said, we're helping other people see what this kind of relationship looks like. We're sort of normalizing it. And therein is the problem. Normalizing it. There always have been things that our, our society knew were, were deviant and, and marginal and, and unhealthy and wrong. But now we're, we're mainstreaming Things. We're, we're normalizing, we're bringing, them into, uh, we're bringing them into everyday uh, life. It feels a bit like that phrase in Philippians 3.19, uh, they glory in their shame. Things that we used to be ashamed of, we now glorify. We, we champion, we celebrate, we, we normalize, we, we mainstream. As a society, it seems we've lost our self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 reads, He who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. He who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. Think about the walls of an ancient city. Their only hope for protection was the walls. When the walls were destroyed, they were vulnerable, they were in big trouble. And when a nation or a culture loses its control over its own self, its self-control, the nation or the culture is in trouble. Carl Bates, one of my seminary teachers, said, and this was 35 years ago, God has seen to it that no one headed down the wrong path ends up at the right place. That no one headed down the wrong path ends up at the right place. At the risk of sounding like a doomsday prophet, and I've never liked preachers who every Sunday talk about how America's headed you know where in a handbasket. But at the risk of sounding like a doomsday pro prophet, it feels like our culture in many ways uh, is headed down the wrong path. And their end, Paul wrote, is destruction. They glory in their shame. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. And their end is destruction. God's boundaries, His guidelines are, are the best 
for us, whatever the topic, whatever the situation. <clears throat> I mentioned a January 31st article, a February 5th article in the Wall Street Journal. This is just eight days ago. Read, too risky to wed in your 20s? Not if you avoid cohabiting first. And here's a line from the article. Marrying without having lived together with a partner makes for some of the lowest divorce rates. Well, imagine that. Study after study after study says that when couples exercise self-control, they develop a discipline that serves them well when they are married. So this is not, that's not a Sunday school book. This is the Wall Street Journal saying that it's better to exercise self-control, not to live together before you get married, that it, it minimizes the possibility of divorce. You see, the, the guidelines, the, the standards that God gives us, they're not the guidelines given by a, a killjoy or a spoil sport, but by a loving Father who loves us with a love beyond our imagination who knows that passion can reach its potential only between a man and a woman who've said, I will forsake all others and keep myself only for you, and you won't have to worry about that so long as we both shall live. God's boundaries, His guidelines are the best for us, whatever the topic. But this is not a message about inappropriate physical relationships. That's just one example of gluttony. Of, of the excessive desire for pleasure. It's just an example of hedonism, this insatiable, irre, uh, irresponsible pursuit of, of whatever I, I like, whatever makes us feel good. It boils down to this. So, Travis, you could have skipped the first 20 minutes and come to this. Well, kind of, kind of that. It boils down to this. Our Creator, who loves us with a love beyond our imagination, sets standards for us, guidelines for the best living of life. And one of those standards is, don't embrace excess. Don't worship pleasure. Enjoy God's gifts, from food to finances to physical intimacy within the boundaries, uh, the guidelines that God has created for us. That means remembering there are things so important, like our families, our health, our self-respect, our relationship with God, things so important that we will not sacrifice them on the altar of hollow, temporary pleasures. Gluttony is an attempt to fill an emptiness far deeper than the belly. The excessive appetite for pleasure is an attempt to satisfy something far deeper than our stomachs. Gluttony is an attempt to satisfy our souls with things that will not satisfy. Our daughter Brennan and her family have a wonderful chocolate lab, a dog named Charlie. And Charlie's a great dog. Kids climb 
all over him. He's just a great dog. But he's an expensive dog. Charlie has had more orthopedic surgeries than I have. He's had three shoulder surgeries and um, gotten it real expensive. You see, dogs, dogs have joint problems too. Dogs have skeletal problems. Dogs have orthopedic problems. And then there's Little Red. When our kids were little, we had a hamster named Little Red. Well, Little Red developed a cancerous tumor on his head. And I felt like the best thing to do would be to go let Little Red go in the woods and let him enjoy his last days in the wild, as I explained it to our kids. But our daughter Brennan would not hear of it, no sir. I had to take Little Red, a hamster, mind you, to the veterinarian to be euthanized. Yes, I paid for a hamster to be euthanized. See, animals have the same physical problems we do. Blood diseases, joint problems, cancer, heart problems, GI problems, nerve problems. But there's one illness that we have that animals don't. Addiction. Now, animals in, in a, a lab, if you, if you inject certain chemicals into their brains, they will eat food excessively, they will drink water excessively, but they don't have addictions. Animals in their natural settings do not find a substance that alters their view of reality and get hooked on that. But humans do. Abraham Tversky wrote a wonderful book titled Addictive Thinking, and he talked about that, how animals don't get addicted. And here's what he said. He said, animals have the same kind of physical longings that we do, you know, for food and shelter and all that. They have the same kind of physical longings that we do, but animals don't have a spiritual longing. There's not like this emptiness in your pet that he or she is wanting to fulfill. Now, they want to eat, and they want to sleep, but your pet is not going around wondering about the meaning of life and, and longing for something to fulfill this spiritual hunger in them. Tversky said, and this, this is not a religious book, that the reason that they, they don't get addicted and we do is because we have this spiritual longing and we're trying to find something to fulfill that longing. And sometimes we turn to substances to fulfill that. In fact, he said that sometimes when people are getting recovery, he said, I've heard them say, I realized that empty space I felt is where God belonged. Humans trying to quench this spiritual craving that animals don't have because we, we have this built-in spiritual craving. Even when we can't articulate it, we know there's something 
missing. I've been to En Gedi. En Gedi is one of my favorite places in the Holy Land. It's this little oasis not far from the Dead Sea. You have to, you have to hike up to it. It's off the beaten path, but it's a, I want you to picture it in your mind. It's a pool with this waterfall and, all, and the rocks around the pool. There are ibex, I-B-E-X, these little deer that dance around, prance around all through those rocks. And I want you to picture that scene. Waterfall, pool, brook, Deer, and listen to Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. Old Testament scholars believe this is where David was when he wrote Psalm 42 at En Gedi. Waterfall, brook, pool, deer. David, remember, was being chased by Saul. His hero wanted to kill him. The father of his best friend, Jonathan, wanted to kill him. David had been chosen to be king. He didn't ask to be king. The pressures on him were tremendous. And he pauses at this oasis at a time when, when wine and food and all the luxuries he had could not meet his deepest needs. And he said, deep calls out to deep. With the roar of the waterfalls in the background, deep, somewhere deep, deep inside me, there's a longing for something deep. And when, our, when from the depths of our spirits, we long for answers, and we long for fulfillment, shallow answers won't cut it. Temporary pleasures are not enough. The old gospel song, it turns out, is right. But only Jesus can satisfy our souls. Gluttony can't. The irresponsible, insatiable pursuit of pleasure can't. It may sound trite, but it's true. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul.